Welcome to the Conduit Deeper Podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series. From current events to fascinating finds to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to the Deeper Podcast, uh, Conduit Church, our weekly podcast where we get into deeper into the scriptures from what we were on Sunday or interesting facts, fascinating finds. And once again, Mo is still in quarantine. Um, turns out that he uh, did not have the immunity of a 12-year-old boy and uh, suddenly <laughs> was down. He got coroned. Now, the good news is that uh, I know that a lot of people have not had this story, but Mo, uh, his story is... Uh, and by the way, he didn't get it from me. Can we just say that right now? Because there's a lot of guilt and shame floating around. But I did not do I did not. Uh, it wasn't my fault. That's one. But, um, you know, he's actually not the same story that others have had where it's been a lot worse. But he's doing OK. And he's actually out of quarantine, I think, Thursday. Uh, so he'll be back next week. But today we have a uh, one that I've been looking forward to for a while. Um, Jerry Negrato, uh, he and his family have had a fascinating journey and they've started a ministry specifically for helping parents, children to walk through mental illness. And uh, in fact, if you're listening to this, like today we're recording this on November 3rd, uh, which turned out to be an election day. So speaking of mental illness, um, <laughs> but, <laughs> November 3rd, but this Sunday night, which is November 8th, 8th. at 6 p.m., uh, there is an event that Nothing Hidden is hosting at Conduit, um, 6 p.m. 6 p.m., child care. Okay. And if they go to nothinghidden.org, you can register. Uh, and by the way, it's, and we really need you to register, especially if you need child care, uh, because we have a limited amount of space for that, and we just want to make sure we have everything available. We, we went back and forth, should we provide child care or not? But we don't want any reason for anybody to not be there that night that needs to be there. And so... Jerry, we'll tell them in a minute about like exactly what you'll be doing on that night. But this is this is for who parents. This is for parents, but anybody who says I want to learn more about mental health in the context of faith. Got it. Because that's the tension point right there. It's faith and healing, and why some people aren't healed, and what is mental illness, and what is not, and what is situational depression versus clinical depression. So anybody who wants to learn. Right. Um, but parents geared towards that is um, more specifically. Well, so that it, people in our church family, so uh, Jerry is pretty new to our conduit family uh, in just the last few months. He walked in and I was like, that dude looks cooler than I do. I have to meet him. You were wearing a, <laughs> if I remember right, you were wearing a fedora the first time I saw you. Yeah, some, that, some type of hat. Does yeah. that check out? Yeah. Like I've, so my head is too large for a, a hat. So I've always been jealous of hat people. Uh, when I wear a hat, I, I, maybe they make them big enough that you just have to order them off of Amazon. But mine looks more like my head is in a, a fight with the hat, and the 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 head is winning, like it's going to pop off. No, 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 you have hair, so it okay, fits well, so. differently. I'm bald, <laughs> okay. so my hats fit, you know, right, but, perfectly. Okay. There's nothing extra. <laughs> maybe that's probably a good point. The, I will say this about Jerry: he has a really good skull. Like it's not misshapen. There's no dents or anything. I've not got a good skull, so I've been yeah. grateful for. God's mercy uh, to grow up. I, I grew up in a family with three brothers that all uh, <clears throat> experienced some hair loss starting in their early 20s. Yeah, same here. Uh -huh. same and so, here. I, but some reason, maybe, I don't know, because I know it's not because I'm spiritual, I promise you, it's that. Maybe yeah. 
maybe God just knew that I'd be so, uh, I'd need help in other places. He'd at least give me a, throw me a bone. But anyway, uh, my thick and lustrous hair aside, we are here to talk today about um, an issue that the church has avoided and an issue that at Conduit, we stumbled into it um, a couple of years ago. Just realizing, um, I think I've shared this with you at, over coffee, Jerry, but yeah. uh, when we when we go to Africa and we are drilling wells there, like wells are what are harming children, killing children in places like Africa because they do not have access to clean water. And so we knew that's what we're supposed to do there because that's how you, we call it, you know, salting the gates of hell. Like that, that is a gate of hell in front of them. In our culture in our context you can the the poorest of the poor who i was one of um can get water you can turn it yeah. on you can flush a toilet all that's uh we have access to food um through government programs thank god for those things but there were two issues that we discovered in our culture that are the clean water issues of our culture one is addiction and by the way these Absolutely. are somewhat inseparable uh one is addiction and the other is emotional health mental health uh, it is what is sidelining, paralyzing, and harming our children. Absolutely. Yeah. And a lot of times they run in, in tandem with one another. Yeah. Um, because if you look at statistics, um, the number and percentages of, of young adults that have mental health issues and also have addictions that haven't been treated or diagnosed is staggering. And I just sometimes wonder how many teens and young adults out there that used uh, substances, alcohol and drugs, to self-medicate because they've never been diagnosed. Mm. And so we're, we're putting, them in, putting them in the category of um, a drug addict, right. alcoholic, when really the core issue is mental health related and because they were never diagnosed, they had to self-medicate. And here's what's mind-blowing, Darren, is that 14 years old, NAMI, National Alliance of Mental Illness, says that at 14 is the onset of mental illness. How long do you think it is from onset to treatment? I wouldn't. I, that's the scary thing, right? 10 to 11 years. Okay, so your a, child. A, a decade. A decade. So your child develops, and we're talking clinical mental illness. We're going to kind of divide out later what is what I'll call situational um, mental health um, episodes or bouts versus clinically diagnosed mental health issues that uh, requires professional help. Wow. So if, if your child is has clinical mental illness at 14 and if it's 10 years till treatment, what does their life look like? from 14 to 24 um, if they've not gotten proper professional care. It's inevitable they're gonna use. Wow. It's inevitable. So so it's that's just what's happening in right. the culture right now. Well, and if, you know, if we're all being honest, the, the world I grew up in, uh, the world most of us grew up in, we didn't really like we wouldn't have even spoken about a mental health or emotional health or just what wouldn't have come up. Yeah, and, absolutely. And I don't know, um, people might be thinking, Darren, what does, he, what does this have to do with Revelation? Um, 
Revelation 16 and 17 where is where God begins to put the, the finishing touches on just doing away with Babylon. Now, there is a literal Babylon. There was a literal Babylon. But the idea of Babylon, the, the, the Bible itself is a tale of two cities, right? Jerusalem and Babylon. It's just back and forth. And both of them represent real places. And both of them also represent the, uh, the position of who we are and what, you know, and, and the world. No, the reason I bring that up is that in Babylon, uh, one of the things it talks about in chapter 17, verse 11, is the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn because no one buys their cargoes anymore. But it goes on to talk about how much wealth is in the Babylonian system. And Jerry, I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, so let's start with this. In Western culture, prosperity, mental and emotional health is not necessarily related to just prosperity, but the, the more mm-hmm. wealthy a society is, the more isolated we become. Yes. Um, so like anthropologists would say, and I, and, and I know this, you go to Haiti mm-hmm. and then people in Haiti don't live inside. They live outside. They sleep inside. Yes. Everything else is around people. But the more wealthy you become, the more isolated you become. And the more isolated you are, we humans were not designed for that isolation. Now, I found out this week that the first record in human history that I'm aware of, of actual mental and emotional health, was from Babylonian records. Wow. They were recording what we would call depression and anxiety uh, thousands of years ago. And then the next, when you go through that in the Roman and the Greek culture, that's not that unknown because much of what we would know today, modern health, whatever there are, they, they knew that it started, you know, some of it was in Rome and, but yeah. there's something attached to that. Now I'm not saying, Hey, let's all take vows of poverty and, uh, <laughs> and move to the, because the fact is, is we're in a fallen world. And so we, we do that and we go to Africa. Maybe they're not going to have an emotional health struggle there, but they are having health issues. I just hung up with our friends in Haiti and one of the girls there has got a, uh, she needs medical help. She needs attention. And the only way we can get her there is we've got to get her through the, through the border of the Dominican. We've got to get her a passport. We've got to get her money. Uh, she doesn't have access to that there, but she, mentally, emotionally, she's not struggling like we would struggle here in our country. Our clean water issue is emotional health. And I, for one, am excited. I mean, that's not the right word, but I'm relieved maybe yeah. that we are talking about this now. Uh, I, I set the alarm, whatever sounded the alarm, two years ago in our church, and we've just been seeking uh, how to get involved and more involved. We've done emotional health with Pete Scazzaro, with our staff. and But I've just felt like, what is it that we're supposed to do? And then I meet you. And you tell me your story and you tell me what God is doing in your life. And I'm just thinking one of the things at Conduit, we don't just go start stuff. We love rather that someone else that we love and trust has done it. And we just get behind them and support what they're doing. And that's what I saw with when you started describing to me the ministry of nothing hidden. And I'm like, okay, I don't want to get too excited. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like our first date. I don't know if he likes me or not. Um, but can you tell yeah. us, okay, someone just joining in here, what is Nothing Hidden? It's nothinghidden.org. So if you're listening uh, today or in the future, five years from now, whatever, nothinghidden.org is where you can find out information. But could you tell us uh, what is it that you guys are doing and how was it born? Yeah, well, it was born out of three years of struggle. Um, 
with our daughter as she battled mental health issues. Um, and we looked at it from the wrong perspective. We were looking at behavior. We were trying to create some type of behavior modification for her. Um, because, you know, in the church, if you got um, a child who's acting out and not living according to the standards and you're uh, a bad parent, um, and then mm. in that you start to live in, in shame. Um, were, were, you a, were you still a pastor at this point? Because I didn't bring that up. You'd been a pastor for a decade or so. Yeah, I mean, I was in pastoral care ministry back 24 years ago in, okay. in, a, in, a, in a mega church. Right. Um, which was interesting because being in pastoral care ministry back then was kind of preparing me, I think, for this, Darren. I mean, we hmm. we were in a mega church before they even had the term mega church. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't we, we didn't even have that yet. It was just a church that God was was increasing at rapid numbers and yeah. being part of the pastoral care team. Um, and and it was a hardcore pastoral team. There's about ten of us, and um, I always found myself with the people struggling with uh, addictions um, because I have a history of, of addictions and um, you know alcohol drug abuse from the time I was 15 became a corporate guy young and mm. 24 and I was a functional corporate high level <laughs> performer that was a full-blown alcoholic and cokehead and learned how to become these two people Hmm. And um, came to Christ at about at 32, and um, God dealt immediately with me with my addictions. Hmm. And so I've always, um, since I became a pastor and part of pastoral care, had a, a heart for people with addictions. Because you remember back then, it was just kind of send them to AA. Yeah, we we yeah we we, we would right? the stuff that we can handle is the easy stuff. So we'll we'll sort of sweep the addicts uh, and the alcoholics to, to AA. So yeah. they're like these second class Christians. And I don't even think celebrate recovery was born yet. Yeah, probably because that's back fairly then. recent history, the last 10, 20 years. So. Yeah. So thank God for celebrate recovery because we have yeah. a place where they can go and it's faith based and feel accepted. Yeah. Um, so I was always in this pastoral care, and it was the the people that were addicted. Uh, they would send to me um, mental health stuff. I mean, I can remember the first time my pastor over me said, hey, one of our congregants, um, uh, you know him. He's actually in singles ministry along with you and um, had a psychiatric episode. We'd call it a nervous breakdown back in the day. We right. call them psych psychiatric episodes now because yeah. it could be so many different things. Will you go to the, the ward? At the hospital, the the psych ward, <laughs> to yeah. be to be real and raw about it, and visit him because you know him and I know you love him and he'll trust you. And it was one of the scariest things I think I've ever done hmm. in ministry um, to be in a psych ward in the the room where you do visitations and there's about twenty people in there and there's bizarre things happening. Yeah, um, and my friend who I knew as a normal person. I knew he had taken meds for his mental health condition, um, and those meds stopped working, um, and he had a, a psychiatric breakdown and needed to get re-regulated, and I was the one who would go visit him weekly. And who would think that back 20, right. 24 years ago that God was preparing prepared you. me for, the, for that? And I also had the privilege of, of you know being the director over a faith-based 
addictions program um, at our church. A hundred to hundred and fifty people showed up weekly, and we were an alternative to AA. Yeah, um, for people to kind of the AA book is the big book, and yep, we would yep. just say, "Hey, we got the best book. It's time to graduate and hold up <laughs> the Word of God." And 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 we were just a faith based, right. but we accepted anybody and everybody there. And again, just preparing yeah. me and training me and yeah, preparing you ready. for what was to come. Of course, that you or no parent um, wants to ever even imagine. And from that, so you guys are, are dealing uh, with it in your own family with your children, and it's um, I, I without question. You know, well, if statistics are holding true right now, 30 to 40 percent of people listening right now are either dealing with it personally or with their children right now. Yes, absolutely. And uh, the question, of course, is where do you go with that? And, and so that's kind of what Nothing Hidden was born out of was it's this maze of identifying what it is, trying to figure out what you do about it, who do, who does it for you. And, and the idea of Nothing Hidden um somewhat of helping a family navigate those waters, right? Cause you guys aren't yes. doctors, but yes. you're like Sherpas. Like you've been there before. Yes. Yeah. When so, we hike through the mountains, we've been there. We, we go with someone who knows the way, uh, even mm-hmm. though we might have to go a different way this time or another way, but you know the way. So that's sort of what yeah, this is. So kind of a quick backstory then we'll get into what nothing hidden um, does is, um, again, we were focused on our daughter's behavior and we were missing uh, the right conversations. We were missing the pain that she was going through because she would, uh, she was in four treatment centers um, in a year and a half, and they kept saying she was treatment resistant. And like, so what, what is that all about? You know, is treatment um, resistant when they don't know what to do? So do, they just and tap out, and, and and they're and they're getting uh, asked discharged, or they're just saying we don't really know what to do. Or nothing's changing. Um, uh, yeah, you dropped twenty thousand dollars. Sorry that we couldn't help your daughter. Um, we'll take your money, but but, but she's treatment resistant, and that continued um, t- to happen. How um, did you find your time. way to each of these? So you found your way to one, and then she's quote unquote treatment treatment yeah. resistant. Then do you, are you just literally googling stuff? No. What what we did was when um, when she got to her worst um, point, her lowest point, and life was literally. Out of, her life was out of control. Her behavior was out of control. Our family was in crisis daily. I would find my wife on the floor, balled up, weeping with, with anxiety, shooting through her, her, her shoulders, up in her neck, into her head. And I'm thinking she's going to have a stroke any day. Is my daughter going to come home? Is she going to disappear again? Will I ever see her again? We, we didn't know really what to do, and we uh, we hired a life coach huh. to come in and, and meet with us who had been a director of um, a faith-based um, um, boarding school. And then we had another couple who had two ch- children who kind of went south, and so the six of us would meet, um, the life coach wow. and his wife, me and my wife and our two friends, for about six months, and we would get together and cry and pray and scream. Uh, it wasn't a Bible study. We would, we would look at Scripture, and we mm-hmm. had um, someone who kind of guided us through 
um, making it through another week, basically, Darren. It was like, okay, we've had crisis. What did your it was Wednesday, so we had we had Sunday to get you know our our, our spirits recharged at church, but by Wednesday it was like, okay, let's. I think I have five crises that I need to deal with with my daughter right now, and I'm about to lose my mind. I'm overwhelmed. I'm tired. I have no energy. I'm exhausted. Mm. I'm confused. He would help us sit down and talk that through. We would actually meet and would have a meal together and just and, and talk and be very positive and laugh together. And then at the end of the meal, he would say, okay, what, what are you up against this week? We would share and we always had at least two, sometimes up to five crises. Mm. And we would go in the other room and he would help us sort through those five things that we would say was a crisis but just find the one thing. And the question would be, okay, if you're having five things right now that that are causing chaos, what is the one thing that if we could change that or work on and fix that would create the, the greatest impact to, to just take one little step forward? Or if we can if we can address this, you can take a deep breath. And that's what we did for about six or seven months. And, and he helped us find um, faith-based um, programs through the process. Um, then when Bella was released um, from one, I mean, she was in everything from a faith-based boarding school that was totally therapeutic. Um, uh, her high anxiety disorder morphed into an eating disorder. So we had to put her into Sela House, which is a faith-based <clears throat> eating disorder program. Then she came home. Um, then we had to get her into a recovery program. Um, when she came home, she had to go into a local um, eating disorder uh, group. Um, and then she asked us at one point to to send her to a place to deal with um, her substance abuse because she was self-medicating. Because really at that point, um, we didn't know that it was mental health related. We just thought it was... Um, behavioral, that she was rebellious, that she didn't want to walk with God anymore. And and that's typically what's going to happen up front in the life of a family with a teen with mental health. But then she started saying things to us like, I I need help. Um, You guys don't understand what I'm going through. Um, Something's wrong with my brain. Mom, I don't want to make these choices. I don't understand the danger behind the choices that I'm making. <clears throat> so through this process, mm-hmm. right, of being in therapeutic environments and good ones that actually was total family involvement, um, weekly calls, reading books. We went through a six-week video curriculum on how to receive your child back from a, um, a treatment center so that you can accept, love, support, and care for them properly. Mm. Um, We became different parents, but we also realized that she needed professional counseling. And so that that actually brings up a question for me, and we will get to what Nothing Hidden is doing, but this feels like the right question, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, in the church world, um, if a parent is experiencing this... um, because you're right, it's, it, and it's it's not fair just to say it's just in church world, but in Christianity, but in many parts of society, if your child is is struggling like that, there's such a shame to it because it, you, I, I would feel, I mean, I had, we, I got four children myself, mm-hmm. that it, it reflects on my parenting, <clears throat> my ability, so it's easier, you know, to 
uh, sort of cover it up and to, to try not to, or, or, or worse, you know, deal with it in a way that's unhealthy. But for, the question is this, when you're dealing with this, is it spiritual? Is it medical? Because, okay, church world, well, we'll just rebuke it enough. You don't have enough faith. Or yep. de- or demonic, we'll just cast it out of them. Yes. Uh, you know, there's the medical side of things. We just medicate it. There's the emotional side. There's psychological. Like, what What is it? When we say mental illness, um, even that word comes with a stigma attached to it. Absolutely. You know, um, I, I, I'll, I'll use the word emotional health a lot because it just feels less. But, yes. but what? So when it, this, if a, if a parent's looking at their child right now mm-hmm. and, and the behavior's not modifying and they're not, they don't know what to do, what is it? Do they cast the devil out of them? I'm going to tell you, um, as we went through this journey with Bella, um, at the end, when she had come back from being in a program and decided to go live on her own, she was 18. Her, um, she really had a high anxiety disorder. It wasn't an eating disorder, but it, it, it hit itself under the term of eating disorder. <clears throat> she was so anxious, she just couldn't eat food, had a stomach ache all the time. <clears throat> and actually, that's something I, I want to say, and then we're going to keep going. If you have a, a child, 10, 12, 14, 16 years old, and they have chronic stomach aches, and the doctor can't figure it out, that could be a sign that there's an anxiety disorder starting or that they would have one. <clears throat> so she came back um, from an eating disorder program. Um, she was on her second or third loop and it couldn't be reversed. And it's a gift that we had her for two two months before she took her life. Hmm. Um, but the loop couldn't be reversed. Her Her body just started to eat itself, the organs, and then it, it got to the brain and her, her brain basically shut down. She couldn't read. Uh, she was a singer-songwriter. She couldn't sing. She couldn't play music. She couldn't do art. She had to drop out of college. She <clears throat> couldn't work. And that she just didn't believe she could get better. So those last two months is where we really learned a whole lot about mental health, faith, is it spiritual? Is it biological? Is it chronic and clinically diagnosed? Um, and that, Darren, we need a whole podcast just well, we for this. Well, we might have to, right? You might need to come back. <clears throat> yeah, so I, I want to kind of break it down. But first, let me just tell you what we did. I mean, when there was one point where Bella just, she told um, my wife, I just don't know if Jesus is for me because she didn't want to be like this anymore. And we didn't know... 90% of what we know now. We only we learned this in the last two months when her body was eating itself. Wow. Um, and so a lot of what Nothing Hidden um, teaches, uh, journeys uh, alongside parents with, um, our, our next steps, it was really learned in the last two months of wow. her life and then going back in hindsight um, and putting it all together. But she turned back to Jesus, and I'm so thankful for that because mm-hmm. I can say today, <clears throat> as a parent, we did our job. It's it's that our kids believe, and wow. when they leave, leave this earth, they, they breathe their last breath on earth and their next breath in heaven. I know where she is, and that gives me hope. Yeah. So we <clears throat> we did our job. Seen a little moment here to yeah. collect myself. So we... we we did our job, but in, the, in in those last two months, um, 
she came to us and asked for prayer. We brought her, like it says in the book of James, to go to the elders and have them pray over you. Confess your sins. Part of that illness in James, right, is attached to sin choices. She made things right with God. She reconciled with people. She went to prayer. She Hmm. went to a local vineyard church here and had Sosa prayer Hmm. to see if she had demonic spirits in her. She she chased after God and, and looked for all of these things that would have been spiritual for her. But for her, it wasn't. It was clinical, mental, diagnosed, mental health conditions. Yeah. On the back end that we learned, and now here's, here's the thing, the last um, facility she was in um, was one of the premier um, substance abuse facilities um, in the United States. It's called Beachside. It was on Hutchison Island in Florida. And they had somebody who came in weekly and would do neurofeedback, hmm. uh, which starts with a, a brain mapping, a scan of the brain. So kind of going back a little bit, she came home from Beachside, decided to go live on her own, got home after two months. I brought her home and, and it was really, it was too late. Those two months was a hmm. gift for us as we basically watched her wow. shrivel up and um, until that moment. But she told my wife this, Mom, they did some brain x-ray or some brain scan at Beachside. Can you find out what that is? So we um, got a hold of this neurofeedback brain mapping. My wife learned about neurofeedback. And as she um, got educated in neurofeedback, we found out that Bella had three spots in her brain, and I and I use the term neuroscarring. Mm-hmm. Um, those parts of her brain, those neuro connections, those neurotransmitters were not functioning as God designed them to be. And here's what it was, Darren. She was pulled out of the womb with forceps. Oh. When she came out of the womb, and she was stuck in the birth canal for a long period of time, so she's moving from this embryonic water world into a world where you need to breathe air. And she was stuck in there. So there's some data and research right now that that right there can create um, mental illness right at birth. Because you're talking about a head injury then. A head injury, head injuries, yes. Um, And then when she was about three, she fell back in a chair and busted the backside of her head open. And um, it wasn't a concussion, we didn't need stitches. But it's a little kid's little soft, head and brain, right? Yeah. And when she was about seven or eight, she fell out of a tree and landed on her back and smacked the back part of that same spot of her brain when she fell out of a tree. So Bella had, from brain injury, mental health conditions because her brain did not function properly because of those injuries. So here's the thing. Bella never knew what it was to feel normal. Therefore, she was never able to articulate to the doctors in a way that that they would be able to figure out what medications she needed. So you see what I'm saying? So there's this cycle of uh, here's another example. I had a friend who had a, had, a, had a nervous breakdown, a psychiatric breakdown at 30 years old, married a pastor, bought a house, had a couple kids, 
um, heavy duty ministry, mega church machine, yeah. working too much. Uh, pastor she loved ended up turning into be a crackhead, blew up the whole uh, her life, uh, the ministry, and she had a psychiatric breakdown. Hmm. She's fine now because that person knew what it was to feel normal. So as she went through the process of treatment. She had an, a target to get to. Yeah, as they gave her the different medications, right. and there's okay. a plethora of medications, right? Yeah. And they all will interact differently biologically with you. Yeah. She was able to tell the doctors which one made her feel as normal as she was prior to the psychiatric breakdown. And Bella didn't have Bella that. didn't have the capacity. It's like a fish who had never been out of water, so that. she didn't know what it meant. This was just where I've always been. That's really... And she knew that something yeah. was wrong. And I think that that's something that, for many people, that it's a physiological thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the book of Proverbs, uh, and I want to get to this thing about spiritual warfare because there's yes. a piece of this. But in the book of Proverbs, chapter 18, verse 14... He actually says the human spirit can endure a sick body, but a crushed spirit who can bear. And that word spirit, mm-hmm. um, the word ruach, it's like your, it's, I think Tim Keller puts it this way. It's like you look out on your life and you just feel a happiness, a want to live for thi- the ruach. It's the, the wind in your sail. Yeah. And that the crushed spirit um, is actually more deadly than some physical sickness which is important yes. because, again, we thought growing up, if I just, so I, I, uh, I, I uh, a few, 25 years ago was when the first time I ever had a panic attack, except I didn't know that's what it was. Sure. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. And I didn't tell anybody. And then I finally told my wife. And the only reason I told her was because I, I was, every time I drive, I thought I was going to pass out. And so I uh, she'd have to drive me and I'm, I'm literally during the day I'm booking jars of clay and third day and I just think I am the crap right but <laughs> you were probably <laughs> but there was about 40 50 pounds less of me I had a spectacular mullet but uh, but here's what I, I lived with was the fear of if they know who I really am yeah. which is a white trash kid dropped out of college I didn't deserve to be there and so I had to keep pretending like I was somebody that I wasn't and what I was doing was this fear that I had mm-hmm. I just kept stuffing it back down and back down and Absolutely. back down and so my anxiety my pa- I didn't even call it panic attack I didn't know what it was yeah you, sure. how, you know how sure. I figured it out Jerry this is embarrassing but I was watching Donnie and Marie <laughs> <laughs> Donnie and Marie know, oh, we're dating ourselves well it was like Regis or Kathy Lee or Donnie and Marie I don't know yeah. I, I guess Maria was hot or something but I, I uh, he was talking about having a panic attack and he described mm-hmm. it and I thought oh my goodness that's me that's what happened to me but but I white knuckled through it and I didn't sure. and I didn't experience it again until about four years ago, standing in the church on a Sunday morning, and I felt it start, mm-hmm. and it started rising up in me. And then I white knuckled through it. And uh, before you and um, Tracy came along to conduit, it's been about a year and a half ago. There was a Sunday morning where I'm in the back, and I was probably doing maybe a little bit of what Bella was doing. I was just praying, God, please, just take this away from me. Sure. Like I'm just so. It's, and in, in my mind, I'm like, this is just so stupid. Like, I'm, I, there's no, at this point, I actually know what's happening. But I'm, I'm so afraid to tell anybody. Mm-hmm. But it's, so I'm thinking it's, uh, it's like second service, I think. 
and going into third, I don't remember, but I'm in the back and I'm thinking they're on worship right now. And I'm either going to hand the microphone to Mo uh, and give him his own private panic attack and just walk out the door. <laughs> Figure it out, Mo. Yeah. He probably would have. Yeah, yeah. you sat through two of these. You could, maybe you could do the sermon. But, um, but that day I stood up in front of our church family and just said, hey, this is what's happening to me right now. And because um, I didn't know what else to do. It wasn't because I was so spiritual. Like I genuinely wasn't. I just didn't know what else to do. And But what something I learned that day was by telling somebody about it, for me, was the first step of absolutely moving forward into health because it sort of lost its yeah. power over me. Yeah, and that's why we the ministry's name is Nothing Hidden. And mm. it, it was birthed from the thought of... Um, if you're struggling with something that could be mental health, if you're going dark, if your thoughts are going places that they never have before and you're questioning your existence on life and you feel like you can't love yourself and other people don't love you and it just becomes this dark cycle and looping of thoughts, you can't keep that hidden. Yeah, You gotta tell somebody. The first step is telling someone. And then for us, it's okay, parent. When your when your kid comes to you and tells you what's going on, are you observe that they're going dark, that there's mood swings, and you engage them in a conversation, and they tell you um, that they're having problems psychologically, mentally, emotionally, uh, whatever we want to coin it as. Yeah, is that you, parent, can't keep that hidden. You have to take action. Yeah, and so that's really what nothing hidden means. Um, but but here's what I want to ask you. Yeah. So when you were going through that, do you think that was spiritual? Was that a demonic thing? Was that mm. situational because you're just nervous about public speaking? Or was it chronic that could have turned into clinically diagnosed? So I think that it was emotional, um, much of which was formed in the faith of my youth, which was that if you have fear that it's a sin... And so I literally didn't even occur to me that uh, that fear could actually be a healthy thing. Like I don't nowadays, I don't want to get on a plane unless I know the pilot's a little bit of afraid because yeah. it, <laughs> yeah. it heightens his senses. You know, it's like um, yeah. and uh, I, I, it was that and uh, the work that I did with Jeff Schulte and Phil Herndon and uh, uh, Chip Dodd. Uh, Chip Dodd wrote a book called Voice of the Heart and it, it was it yeah. changed my life yeah. soul care yes soul care 100% and that mm-hmm. was where I had found myself I had not allowed myself I had never admitted that to anybody and so um, I think it was Schulte I don't might have been Dodd I don't know but he he, he explained that um, a panic attack is your body telling you you're having a feeling mm-hmm. and um <laughs> and it's kind of wild to think that it because it's physiological at that point. So yeah, when you it's say, called brain body science. Yeah. The brain and the body, it's it's attached. Yeah. And there's finally enough research and data and science out there that there's solutions, right, uh, and, 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 and ways to get fixed and healed yeah. and and whatnot. Yeah, one of them is on my wrist, by the way, which is yeah. an eye uh, watch, Apple Watch. I don't know what they call them, Apple Watch, because it it has a heart rate monitor on it. And so mm-hmm. if I'm sitting still and all of a sudden that it goes beep, beep, and it says that your heart rate is going up. It just happened about two weeks ago. We were sitting in a pretty, you know, 
a strategy meeting with the church and leaders. And I realized my heart rate was going up. Like, okay, that's me. I need to, I, that's yes. how. And that was the thing that was brand new information to me was that like the reason, by the time it was happening to me, my body was already feeling it. In, a, mm-hmm. in So my heart rate is up. Uh, the dizziness, all that was actually legitimately real. And there was no, well, just calm down because it's like when you're running a race and you're at the very end of it and you're going to be breathing deep because your body is actually responding to something that happened to you. And so, you know, you've whatever you, you do a 50 yard sprint and you're going to be breathing heavy. You can't just stop that on that moment. You have to breathe into it. Correct. So I just learned some, um, I learned some, some prayer, some techniques, breathing uh, techniques, breathing. probably. Yeah. 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 Cause Meditation, I mean, yeah, yeah. all of that. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny, Darren. Well, not funny, but the first time I went to your church, you weren't there. And um, the song Good, Good Father was Ooh. was during the worship. And it's Good, Good Father, perfect in all your ways. And and I still was wrestling with God over uh, perfect in all your ways. But my daughter is like gone. And um, wow. I went into a panic attack during worship, full-blown panic attack, um, which can turn into a flashback for me. Oh. And after the service, um, I knew David Shindell and grabbed him and said, man, I need the pastors to pray over me like right now because I was full-blown. And um, they did. And that's probably how you found out about me. I'm assuming through a meeting or something. And then it is. I mean, how crazy that God like moves me to your church because everybody's closed during the pandemic. We're doing Bible studies with some friends at our house. And my daughter finds your church because she loves church and worship. And we go visit. And my first visit, this happens. And you find out about us. And we have this first meeting within two weeks of me. Going yeah. to conduit and and now here we here we are you know well and, and to so, that end you know on that day something you don't know is that one of the reasons I found out about it was that um, David and Tammy went to look for pastors and one of the first pastors they came on was David Christopher and mm-hmm. said hey this guy here's here's a quick story he needs uh, prayer and and David wisely. Said, said no. I, I hope he opted out. He yes. said no, and I, I was so done proud the same. of him. Yeah, so proud Absolutely. of him. Um, but that of all the pastors that that, that are there, we always the joke was one of the pastors here. Like my kid says, he's one of the pastors here. Um, but of the, the first one, and so to me though, there was a, a heart connection of uh, obviously what, what David and Jana have gone through, and are have gone are going through. And then knowing that you guys had gone through that too, and I didn't even know about nothing hidden yet. Yeah, yeah. But I just thought, um, I don't know. I for me, I thought, man, maybe the Lord is putting something in place here, like a, a crack commando unit uh, to <laughs> to just say, look, not on our watch. You know that the this is our clean water issue. How do we drill wells in our souls, in the souls of our children, in in our culture? Yeah, and. You know, I'm not by any means qualified for this. All I can say is that where I was at um, was a different version of the same thing, which is emotional health that obviously goes back thousands of years into other wealthy cultures. We're not the first ones. Um, someone I was talking to just last week you were talking about like in the early church, like, well, you you never hear him talking about emotional health in the early church. 
and, and I think maybe he's right because they were literally just trying to stay alive. So a, a lot of the, sure. I mean, it's one thing to say that, hey, we were all hanging out together in fellowship and really to romanticize Acts chapter two. But then you realize, oh, they were actually doing that because their lives were in, in, in danger. And so they were living together, connecting together. They had to ask themselves the questions like, what would I die for? Uh, mm-hmm. Sebastian Younger's book, Tribe, he's not a Christian. He's a, 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 a fantastic author, but he wrote a book called Tribe. And it was specifically from an anthropological view of like how humans were, he would say, evolved. And I think that's how we were designed to live. Yeah. And so the, the, the modern tribes in America, that's why they don't have emotional health. But where yeah. we, like what do we, you came to my house, you went inside my door. And, you know, I've got houses on both sides of me that I see my neighbors, Glenn and Vicky, love them. But yeah, I come in, I yeah, go right sure. inside. We're not outside cooking together. We're not outside connecting together. And then again, Acts 2, they didn't have, there were no other options. They're literally living together. But we don't yeah. have that now. And, then, and that's interesting because one of the uh, questions that um, we talked about, talking about today was, and, and I'm going to just read it from the text you sent okay. me last night. You survived being a pastor. What was the journey like from being a pastor to where you were then to today? Yeah. And um, we talked a little bit about my pastoral experience, but here here are some things that um, the church that I was in, because it was a mega church, we had a director over each uh, ministry. And so that was my main pastor. And here's what I learned from that pastor was that we lived in community. Um, we we were friends. We we didn't just do work together. Uh, we we had dinner together. We prayed together. We did game nights together. I had another pastor who was a youth pastor and a mentor, and he he lived by Jesus's model. You know, there's the multitudes, there's the twelve, and then there was the three. Mm. And I happened to be one of the three because he was mentoring me to mm. become a pastor. And so there, that is a tribal kind of community uh, mindset. And so the things that I learned uh, early on in ministry, um, just by being part of a church that had mentors over us, was that we hung out together, we prayed together, we ate together, hmm. we had accountability together, we confessed sins to one another, we prayed for one another, and we lived in this. Back in the day, let's get old school religious for a minute. We fellowship. There was koinonia, <laughs> good koinonia. Today we would just say, "Hey, we met up and we hung out and we were real with one another. We were we were willing to get spiritually naked in front of one another." Is the way I like to say it. And so I learned early on that that was what we now call tribal community. Right, it, but we just called yeah. it fellowship and koinonia back then. So, how yeah. did I how did I survive from that to now and what I went through? And here's my term: it's tribal is survival. When we Seriously. moved here, when we moved here, we had a, a, a group of people. We already knew people when we moved to Franklin three and a half years ago, and unfortunately, as my daughter. Um, progressed in her mental health and we didn't know what to do and her behavior got crazy. Um, some of these people dropped out on us, man. They, they, it they got too hard. They just decided that, you know, um, we're checking out. We, hmm. We're not hanging out with the Negrados and they just eventually left us and one even sat and had a conversation with me. You know, hey, right now, and I get it, um, you know, um, my daughter, your daughter, they're both having issues but together they're like, you know, 
a time bomb getting ready to explode. And I was like, well, that's cool, but let's not let our friendship, right. the parents, um, fall apart. Yeah, it's going to look different. We're not going to be able to get together as families, but we ended up being ostracized and um, it was difficult. So There's tri- shame tribal in that. is survival. You guys were kicked out of the tribe. Tribal was survival, but at the same time, God was working. Yeah, and and we were meeting new families because we were in a homeschool community when we first got here, um, and through that homeschool community, and usually through your your kids' friends, you meet their parents, and yeah. we're always super intentional. Always, always, always since we've been. Um, journeying with Jesus yeah. to have that tribal mentality back because of the mentors yeah. 26 years ago that raised us up um, to be uh, pastors. So when we That's really inspiring, by the way, because yeah. what you just described is what I, I think I would aspire for the staff of Conduit. We're not there yet. And some of that's my, well, some, some of it, all of it's my fault um, because I uh, again, to go back to Jeff Schulte, you're one of the loneliest people I've ever met. You know, you're surrounded yes. by people, but you're alone. As a pastor, absolutely. And, um, and so we've always, we've tried to walk that balance of how do you live in community with somebody, you know, who is your boss, technically. I don't ever think of myself as that at all, but uh, but I would, I desire that. And I think that it's one of the reasons why AA, and if you talk to people that have been to AA, they'll generally say some variation of, and that feels more like church than church does. Yes. And because of the community aspect yeah. of it. Yeah, because you can yeah. say, you can, you know, uh, and I've been a part of these groups with uh, Voice of the Heart or with uh, actually with Tin Man Ministries, which is Jeff Schulte's. And uh, when you sit in the room and you say, hey, I'm feeling afraid, angry, yes. I'm hurt, I'm, and then unpack that a little bit and then know that they're not going to leave you. Uh, it was remarkable to me how mm-hmm. healthy that helped me to become. It's unbelievable. Yeah, and I, I and that's what we need as as human beings. We, yeah. we were created for for that. Yeah, I'm just wondering. I hate to ask this, how much time do we have left? Because there's okay. some things that I don't. Well, I want to make sure oh we. Okay, so we're in 49 minutes. How about this? Okay, we'll just go till we're done. Okay. I mean, yeah, I, because I, let me let's finish up on this tribal thing because it's so important. So, <laughs> so we so we move here. Yeah. And um, as we're developing new relationships with families, the other families that we knew when we got here yeah. basically dumped us. Two. Two mm. of them that we had known for over 15 years. Um, ah, that's hurtful, huh? While we were... De- I don't even really want to go there. Okay, let's not. But because um, there is a point that we'll get to and okay. we'll go back to that. Um, because of God's goodness. Yeah. He was allowing us to develop new relationships in this tribe. And here what was interesting about this tribe. One of the persons in this tribe's daughter had been through an eating disorder mm-hmm. and they had gone through hell. So they understood and they were there. They stuck this thing out with us. Yeah. Another one had a couple kids who weren't doing well and those are the ones who um, were with us with the life coach for a six month stint so we could just learn how to love and care and understand our kids differently. Yeah. Then the other one, uh, family had seven kids and four of them were older and out of the house and they had been through all types of, let's just call them events, <laughs> with their children and understood. Yeah. This tribe today, okay, you know, it's been 15 months, months since we lost our daughter. 
our our best friends in our tribe and they the the term now is like it takes a village to raise a family well that's just tribal thinking it was yeah. a village it was a tribe and that's how me and Tracy made it through these last 15 months mm. because within 2 hours of me uh, telling our best friends that Bella was gone they were all at our house six people and they were our life support mm. we had one of our friends who who woke up and slept on our sofa for one, two, three days. So when we came downstairs, she made sure we ate because I yeah. didn't I didn't want to eat for, for weeks. And so tribal yeah. is yeah. survival. We have to live with a tribal mentality. Hmm. God created us for old school religion, again, for fellowship, for koinonia, yeah. for deeper, intimate relationships. And when there's somebody yeah. dealing with mental health, if they don't have a tribe, where else are they going? Yeah, yeah the koinonia. They're word. going. Yeah, they're going to go dark. They're yeah. going to. They're they're going to use drugs. They're they're yeah. they're going to think that their life is not worth living if there's nobody to talk to. So tell me the spiritual warfare aspect of this. Yes, we ask: Is it mental? Is it physical? Is it spiritual? And you've. Yeah, I um, because again, I think we could spend a whole podcast on this, but I want to um, I'm going to read just a, a little bit out of a book by um, Brian Broderson. He's actually the pastor who took over Chuck Smith's church. Chuck Smith, Costa Mesa, the founder of Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa, um, and he is now the head pastor there. And he wrote a book years ago called Spiritual Warfare: Fighting the Good Fight of Faith. You can so, get this on Amazon okay. for about six bucks. I'm going to write that down because I'll send it. I'll make sure we get it in our show notes for it. It's, uh, yeah. But if you so if you didn't get it, but it, say it one more time. It's Brian Broderson. Brian Broderson's Spiritual Warfare, Fighting the Good Fight of Faith. This is interesting, by the way, because Calvary Chapels would have been one where I would have thought they didn't really think much about emotional health. They um, didn't. They did it, and that's a whole nother conversation. Yeah, that's not fair to like <laughs> cast a dispersion across an entire yeah, denomination. Because, but. because um, I would love to talk about how our pastoral care team at Calvary Chapel handed, handled mental health, um, people with chronic clinical mental health, because we did, we, and it was kind of a hidden thing. <laughs> it yeah. was done off to the side. Right. It wasn't talked about. Um, but we, we had a, uh, a psychiatrist we could send people to. Right. He did full blood panels and hormonal panels and everything to find out if it was chemically, a chemical imbalance is out about all we knew back right. then or not. And, and we would pay for that. And um, yeah, so that's a whole nother thing. But let's, let yeah. me read what Brian Broderson writes just, just about depression. And he says, Depression is perhaps the most devastating of all of the wiles of the devil. Inasmuch as the devil gathers up all of the things like condemnation, doubt, fear, evil thoughts, and imaginations, he wraps them all up in despair and leaves us, leaves that person with an overwhelming sense of hopelessness. Mm. Many of God's people throughout the ages have known firsthand what it is to be depressed. You might be surprised to find out that both the psalmist and the apostle Paul experienced depression. Mm. Psalm 77, in the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. My hand was stretched out in the night without ceasing. My soul refused to be comforted. 
Then I remembered God. I was troubled. Mm. I complained, and my spirit was overwhelmed. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. The psalmist. Oh, wow. Um, Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 1.8, We were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Wow. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, and I'm still reading from yeah. Brian's book here. Charles Spurgeon said, I am the subject of depressions of spirits so fearful that I hope none of you ever go to such extremes of wretchedness as to which I have gone. So we see that God's people are not exempted from depression. Everyone suffers from depression from time to time, some more frequently and more severe than others. Their experience may be. The question then is, how do we deal with depression? First, we need to know what's causing it. And there's things, basically four types of depression. There's depression that is organic in nature. So we'll call this biological resulting from a bodily uh, misfunction. It could be hormonal, it could be a chemical imbalance. Um, then there is depression that could stem from circumstances, just being overwhelmed by life itself, right? Um, then there is um, depression that is clinical. And so there's also, Brian's writing in here, that there is depression that can become uh, because of choices we've made that were, let's call it sin. I know I know the church doesn't even like to use the word sin anymore, but yeah, hey, come on. Yeah. Bad choices, sinful choices, yep. choices that go against the, the, the way of God, the, the, the directions of God can cause us terrible consequences. And that can yeah. cause us to go into a depression because our life spins out because we made some really bad choices. And then he says, finally, there is depression that is a direct result of satanic activity. Determining the type of depression a person is dealing with is not always easy. However, God has promised wisdom for those who ask. Hmm. Uh, um, Once we discern, still reading from the book, the cause, once we discern the cause, and that is the most difficult part, that is the part that's complex, discerning the cause. We can proceed with treatment if it is biological or organic. The treatment will primarily need to be medical. If the cause is circumstantial or situational, the treatment will be getting together um, and getting your mind wrapped around biblical perspectives on your circumstances and trusting God. And I'll add in, you know, parent, if you have a connected relationship with your child, you're going to walk alongside and journey with them and listen to them. You know, maybe mm. it's the your son had his uh, it's his first girlfriend. He's 16, and you know, man, first girlfriend. They're getting married, right, Darren? Oh yeah. <laughs> that yeah. first relationship. Mary, it yeah, Mary is Young. the one. Yeah, she was the one. <laughs> we are the one. We're getting married. He's 16. He's yeah. 17. He just started driving, and he's. Yeah. She breaks up with him. Yeah, son has been doing well. Great moral barometer. Godly kid, but he's so bummed. He does something stupid. He goes out with some friends and has some beers, mm-hmm. and he gets drunk for the first time. Hmm. And he comes home three hours late, and you're freaking out because you're wondering where your kid is, and he's not saying anything because he's just trying to get sober. So when he finally does come home, 
he tells you the scenario and you go, well, he needs discipline. We're a Christian family. Yeah, punish him. So guess what? I'm taking the keys of the car away from you for a month and you're grounded for two weeks. And then he just lost his girlfriend who he thought he was going to marry. I think he's got a reason to be depressed. That is what we call situational or circumstantial depression. Yeah. You walk with that. You journey alongside of him in that. And you use that as teaching moments. And he's probably going to come out of that depression in yeah. two, three, four weeks. Yeah. Right? So that's circumstantial uh, depression. And then there's that depression that can just be from a spiritual, satanic way where what does the enemy want to do? He wants to kill, steal, no. and destroy. And that's when it's prayer. A weapons of warfare, the Word of God says, is prayer. Yeah, It's, it's the Word of God. It is fasting. And so... You, you yeah. like with Bella, we went through the spiritual part. She went for prayer. We went to the elders. She went for people at, at the mm -hmm. vineyard to pray over her for any demon possession she might have had. So you do that. You So is it spiritual? Is it biological? Is it psychological? Sometimes it's one of those things. Sometimes it's a combination. Sometimes it's yeah. all of those things. And again, we yeah. need a whole podcast to yeah. go to go into that. Yeah, because I went through um, about a year ago. In fact, I actually taught this at um, Ramsey. Dave Ramsey's company has a Devo every Wednesday. And uh, I, I guess I, when someone cancels, they call me. And so I had uh, the last one before uh, COVID locked everything down. Uh, I actually taught on that. And I went through the book of Proverbs and found when he speaks of it. And it actually, Solomon he wouldn't have had the language we had, but because it's the Bible, he had the wisdom. That's right. To say that the physiological Proverbs 1430, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but passion rots the bones. It's the idea of it, the emotion, the anger that actually that in you feel it in your bones, that physiological change. Like Correct. That, yeah. he's, he's talking about that. And then the emotional side, Proverbs 1225, anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. Tribal. Yeah. Right, but the anxiety is what was that was what was weighing down my well, heart. That, that was the best way they could describe it in that day. There wasn't yeah. enough science uh, yeah. and technology to, to describe yeah. it any other way. Yeah, and he does that for uh, everything you just said. Uh, the moral aspect, uh, Proverbs twenty eight one: the wicked flee, though no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. When, when you talked to a lot of addicts, one of the questions they were ultimately trying to answer is, "What are you running from?" You know, and the answer is nothing. I'm just this hurt and this anguish and this pain and the moral aspect of it there's like the existential aspect of it the situational Absolutely. you know the uh, proverbs 14 13 that laughter can conceal a heavy heart but when the laughter ends the grief remains yeah laughter is like medicine to the soul yeah that's why i tell our friend my friend jack vale the guy who does the fart video all is? kind of other crazy <laughs> things i was like you have a ministry man Dude, and, he, he, and he just like looked at me and i was like i have and i started sending him verses i'm like you don't understand when somebody's depressed and they can laugh there were times where my wife when i would i struggled with deep depression after yeah. bella was gone and and mm. PTSD. I mean, I, I I found my daughter dead, man. I was screwed up for months. Yeah. I was numb. I was dealing with PTSD that comes along with 
with depression and comes with anxiety and she would be wondering who I'm talking to upstairs and come up there and I'm just watching Jack Vale videos and <laughs> laughing and then some night she would come up and she started going let's watch them or we put on a, a, a so you're watching comedy show fart videos with your wife yeah we just needed to laugh man That's a couple goals right there that, you know what I mean <laughs> can, I, can I say this this is really uh, kind of hilarious to me because so my wife doesn't understand fart videos at all. And if you don't know what we're talking about, just Google Jack Vale and he'll be the first link that comes up. Yeah. But the first Sunday that y'all visited, I guess, and Jason uh, Kuhn was leading worship. Correct, yeah. Like, yep. he knew who Jack was immediately while leading worship. Like, yeah. the fart guy. That's all we, I didn't even know his the name. Fart guy. But I knew the fart guy. And then, yeah. like, about a month later, maybe two months, I'm standing there. Uh, at the door, and it's uh, I can say his name. Yeah, I mean I can say his name. It's Mark and Aegis Stewart, uh, lead singer of Audio Adrenaline, and Mike Schweitzer uh, and yeah, Abby from right. Mercy Me. And as as you and Jack walk by, Mark goes, "Hey, is that the fart guy?" I know. That's it. <laughs> is that it's, the fart guy? He's actually got a lot of other stuff that's <laughs> crazy and hysterical. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. yeah just <laughs> like him taking calls from and doing okay, prank calls. Yeah, and, those are great. But anyway, we got to get back. Yeah, okay, I'm sorry. So, but, but laughter is a medicine yes. for that. And also <laughs> farting is a, is a medication uh, to it. But um, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I'm sure we're going to boost his. Uh, actually, he can boost our views for this. But um, so let me ask you this then. Um, parents going through this journey right now. Okay. Uh, my wife and I, um, we love our children desperately. Uh, we walked alongside David and Jaina in their journey and many parents in our church. And I wish, man, I wish that I would have known more and could have done more even as friends of parents going through it. Yes, I but, get it. I get it, man. But what do they do? Like right now, someone's just driving to work and they're like, man, this is my kid. What, what do they do? Yeah. Um, what I want to tell people to do is just use first go to the resources that we have. I mean, we we really journeyed with Bella with mental health for about five years, and we didn't even know it was mental health until really the last two months. And so we have put together uh, the website, nothinghidden.org. Um, and when you go in there, the, here's the first thing that we believe is that teens with mental illness, clinical diagnosed mental illness can still live a successful life. And they need to know that. Say, say that again. Your kids need, need to, to know. That. And it, this is our one of our mantras. We believe teens with mental illness can live a successful life. And they need to know that early on because there's so many treatments and therapies out there, there uh, Darren, that, that can actually heal them hmm. or balance them out well enough that that what they're experiencing is not going to make them feel like I'm broken and I can't have friends and will I ever be productive and can I have a career and can I make it through college? There is so right. much out there, so much out there, technology and holistic care and things that you know the uh, medical community doesn't uh, recognize. And so on our site... Um, we have parent next steps. And I would say to any parent out there right now, we developed this ministry to support you. So if you're a parent and you have a teen struggling with mental health conditions or you're not even sure yet, I had somebody get in touch with me last week. Hey, I'm seeing this in my son. He's having mood swings. I'm concerned. He's isolating. What do I do? I said, 
go to the website and follow these next steps. Hmm. Step one is ways to recognize signs of mental health conditions early on. Then we have a guide to the next steps for parents. And then we want to come alongside parents and equip them to learn how to love, support, and care for their child if they do have mental health conditions. And then to help parents restore the damage that's taken place in the house as you're trying to figure it out. Our house was chaos for two years. Hmm. And then it's fine God in the process because it's very likely if your kid's been struggling for a couple years, how how can we not blame them for not believing that there's this loving God that's supposed to heal hmm. and to just bring God back into this process. Yeah. And that, and that is um, essential. But, but here's the cool thing is that we're not only here for people of faith. We are here for anyone, regardless of where they are with their faith, if they believe if they don't believe, if they're not sure what they believe, mm-hmm. I, I we're, think, av- we're available to them. Man, I, you know, I've, I said this to you when we met, but I, I'm, I think, I don't know, I want to repeat it here for people that are listening. But I believe that what you all are birthing here could be like the celebrate recovery of emotional health for families and children. Um, if, if there's somebody doing it out there, I don't know who it is. There, there might be, but I don't know who it is. And I was looking yeah, because I don't know what to do. I haven't been able to find anything either. And that's why we developed this ministry. Um, it, it was months and months yeah. of just going back and forth and talking to people, talking with our board. Um, we've, We've mentored and coached, you know, probably 12 to 14 families um, through uh, these next steps on our site, mm-hmm. just trying to figure out, is it situational, circumstantial, is it biological? Um, but mm-hmm. it, let's, I think it's important to just go over these next steps because the, the main thing is for, as I said, somebody contacted me last week, what do I do? I said, go to the website, go to the parents' next steps, go through those. Okay, and, and if, there's four if, of them on the site, right? And there's four, yeah. And if and if that doesn't uh, help you, and you need more, and I'm gonna tell you, if you're in the middle of the crazy, if it's you're just you've been going through this with your kid for months, and you're tired, and you wore out, and you're exhausted, we do offer coaching services um, because sometimes you just you don't you don't have the energy. You are in this maze of mental health right. treatment options, and you're confused, and you and you don't know what what to try next um, we're not doctors we we are not able to nor will we tell you what to do next but we will walk you through steps and we will coach you through making those decisions and we will tell you stories that we've experienced we will tell you experiences that other people have experienced we can save you a month's worth of research trying to figure out what could be the next step because yeah. My wife for two years was trying to keep Bella alive, and we and she's got notebooks full of information. Yeah, and so she's the, no slouch, by the way. I mean, your wife, uh, she's Italian, right? She's a New York Italian, yeah. baby. Yeah, like not <laughs> screwing around Italian. So she's a warrior, uh, and having that kind of a gift of those kinds of services 
and they can find it on your website, right? Like the contact information's all there. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, so those next steps, let's just go over them real quick. And, and, and we're going to go into this stuff in detail on Sunday night. Mm-hmm. She's actually going to be the one who talks through this. And the first is just observation. If you are a parent and you're observing that your, your kid is having mood swings, they're, they're getting, they're, they seem depressed. They're, they're isolating themselves. There's a whole list of things that you can be possibly observing. And, the, and we didn't come up with these. This is just, yeah. we're going to NAMI. We're going to all the big mental health places and we mm-hmm. piece this together. Um, and so th- these are the things you would look at if you're concerned about your kid to make sure you're observing properly. Then once you've observed these things and you say, you know what, I'm concerned. I have a concern. The step number two is conversation. And this is so important, Darren, is how do you even have a conversation with your kid when you've observed some things that have you concerned? Mm -hmm. And there's a whole place that you can go and read about how to have conversations where we're gonna coach you through the site on on how to do that. Um, And I will say if you have a connected relationship with your kid, meaning a good relationship, we call it a connected relationship, you're gonna have a much greater success on having them to open up to you. Hmm. Um, and it's by using a lot of questions. It's not, you know, I can't believe you're in your room all the time now and you're, uh, you don't, you, your room's messy and you don't come out for dinner. It's no, it's with compassion. And it's, it's question-driven conversation to get them to open up and talk to you. If you're not connected with your kid, and that can happen, mm-hmm. um, if you go through similar things that we did when when Bella's life spun out, I had to protect the family. I had to be the dad who said, "You know, you keep doing these things, you you, know, you can't live in the house." Um, me and her didn't have a connected relationship, but we we chose because we had a life coach who said, "Jerry, you have to do that. Good cop, bad cop." Hmm. Similar thing, there was a connected relationship with with Tracy and Bella was willing to talk. Hmm. Number three is I think one of our premium steps and it's the things to consider. And what that is, is we've always been in holistic care. We've always looked for alternative treatments and there is so much out there um, that the normal medical community, hey, and we need the medical mm-hmm. doctors, we need traditional medical care, yep. but there's also holistic, and sometimes you have to approach it with both, yep. you know, traditional medicine and holistic, and I think you have to combine it. I mean, we had to do that. That's what I've done mm-hmm. for myself coming out of this PTSD. It was holistic. I needed medicine, I needed a psychiatrist, I needed Jesus, I needed a therapist. I needed trauma, EMDR treatment. I needed some more Jesus. <laughs> you know, I needed them on the front and the back and in the center. I needed doctors. I needed counseling. Mm-hmm. Um, but through all that, so in this number three step consideration, we go over all of these things that maybe a medical doctor is not going to consider, but holistic doctors will. Yeah. Example, when I moved here from South Florida, I lived in Florida for 28 years. My first winter, I went into a deep depression because lack of sun. So it had been very easy. I told my wife, I was I was having trouble waking up. I was coming home and wanting to go to bed by 7 p.m. 
And I'm like, something's wrong with me. And she's like, what do you mean? Are you eating bad food while you're out on the road and all that? You're eating at the taco street trucks again on Nolansville Pike? And I'm like, no, something's wrong with me. I don't feel right. I don't have any energy. Um, I could have easily, if we were not trained because we studied holistic care for 15 years, mm-hmm. easily went to the doctor, told the doctor what's going on, and it would have give me a prescription for antidepressants. But I went and said, I want a full blood panel Mm -hmm. and I specifically want you to check my vitamin D. And that's what it was. My vitamin D was about 14 and it needs to be between 30 and 40. I mega dosed vitamin D for two and a half weeks and was fully out of my depression. Fascinating. So when I talk about the consideration part, step three, that's where we get into these things. Folic acid, essential for brain health thyroid can put you into a deep depression so there there that's that step there and then step four is action how do you take action now that you have done some blood testing you've got your kid in counseling because if they're not going to open up to you then you need to find a youth leader Mm -hmm. you need to find a professional counselor to start talking to them and 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 darren it's 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 a maze I continue to go back to this illustration, this word picture of it is a maze. Mental health is a maze of options and treatments that you can get lost in and you can give up as a parent and you can just lose uh, your energy to even know what to do next. And these next steps, I truly believe, is an answer to getting parents at least moving forward and making step, taking steps to make decisions. Because listen, uh, and I'm going to be very blunt here, is if your kid does have clinically diagnosed mental health, the longer you wait, the the bigger risk you will uh, have at Hmm. losing your kid. Hmm. It's the bottom line. If it's clinical and they're not being treated properly by a professional, you're losing time, man. You're losing time. So again, some statistics we talked about earlier. 14 years old is when a child will typically be the onset of mental illness. 14. 14 years old. And treatment is an average of 10 years. From onset to treatment is 10 years. What does your kid's life look like if they do develop clinical mental illness at 10 and they don't get treatment till 24? Hmm. What do you think is going to happen? They're mm. going to probably be using drugs and alcohol because that is how they're self-medicating because they were never diagnosed early on. What Nothing Hidden's goal is, is that we're not suicide prevention. <clears throat> There's enough groups out there. Mm-hmm. That is not something we can take on, actually. Mentally and emotionally, we cannot handle that. Right. Um, so I would say if your child is threatening of taking their life, you've got to immediately go to professionals. Don't take that lightly. If there's is there self harm involved, so self harm, whatever. They're not going to the four steps. Like, are they skipping the <clears> step? It's it gets tricky with the self harm thing. Mm-hmm. It's a whole nother conversation. Um, uh-huh. But if your kid's dark, and it's been weeks, and they're 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 saying that they're thinking of taking their life, and there's self harm involved, you better immediately go right to prof- professionals. Yeah, I coined this term for nothing hidden. We're pre pre suicide. We want to help the parent catch it when your kid's 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 years old. Right. 
so that you can help them see that they can live successful. You mm-hmm. can get treatment, and there's treatments out there like uh, neurofeedback that can actually heal the brain. It can cause those uh, the, the neuro wiring, hmm. the neurotransmitters, the neuro connections, the brain wiring to actually right. be healed and to function again. And we and we talk about that in, in that consideration uh, right. part. Um, so if you're a parent and you're in crisis right now, just go to these next steps, start working through them. Yep. And if it's your crisis is crisis, crisis on top of that, I said we offer coaching services. Sometimes you just need you need you need help. Right. Well, to to that end, um, I hope that people listening today or five years from now. I mean, I, I don't know about you, Jerry, but I listen to podcasts sometimes that are like twenty years old. So I'm yeah. Uh, some of these old time uh, teachers, are, you know. But the I don't, what I would hope that someone could walk away with today is the realization that number one, you're not alone, um, that there are others out there. Absolutely. And that the shame is uh, isolating and to overcome the shame. uh, And sometimes the only way through that is just to start asking and start uh, pressing in. Uh, I love that you've got these four steps because I know that as even as a pastor, when I'm talking to a family here, Many times by the time they've gotten to me, it's it's pretty far gone, uh, and I have yeah. to hit the eject button because I have to recognize, which I easily recognize, where mm-hmm. my skills start and stop. But if there's parents right now, especially that are 14, 15, their kids are starting to struggle, don't wait. Yes. It's... Push through the shame. Yes. And start now uh, with these four steps. Yes. Um, because... Uh, I mean, I think back, had I have, had I have had these options, you know, my children uh, are all amazing kids. And, you know, there were definitely moments where we were going through some questions and their own emotional health. Unfortunately, our, their, their path, like they didn't have much physiological. But even then, we were like, you know, we found some great resources with The Refuge and Amy Alexander here in Franklin. Sure, yeah. Voice of the Heart. Those are things that we just sort of stumbled into. But to have, if if we would have could go back and have had this, even to mm-hmm. could you say that? Is ask the questions. I didn't know what to ask. No, you uh, you don't. Yeah, it, like um, why are you doing that? <laughs> again, you know, five years of this. Yeah. three years in total chaos. Last two months with Bella, really learning all this as we. Right had the, the neurofeedback um, done. The other thing I did, Darren, is back in January, I traveled to Florida and visited some churches where friends of mine pastor and some mega churches. Um, and I don't think there's any reason to name the churches because I wanted to just kind of get a feel for what the community of faith and what churches were doing. Yeah. And one was like, I, 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 nothing. We don't, we don't even know what to do. Another one was like, hey, we have this pamphlet we put together and it was basically resources, but we, we want yeah. to we want to know what to do. Yep. And then one said, Hey, we have a benevolence fund, you know, with fifty thousand dollars a year in there that we use to, to resource, you know, uh, counselors and mm-hmm. send people to to doctors and uh but that's really not enough. Yeah. And and they all said, you know, well what what do we tell our people mm-hmm. at our church to do next and that's what 
just birthed in our minds a next steps resource guide. Yeah. And a personal friend of mine said, well, what can you do? He even said, can you like put something like that together Yeah, that I would be able to have that? And um, it, it took us months. I mean, we had to take breaks, emotional breaks just from putting yeah putting the, uh, the ministry t- together as we formed it, just as we were dealing with our own heartache, heartache and, and grief. But it's it's here now. We're, we feel like God's saying it's go time. Yeah. And, um, you know, there was one last question, because I know we need to wrap this up. Yep. And we said, you know, how does the church respond to mental health? And, and this is real and, and important. And uh, I learned a lot of this from Rick Warren from Saddleback, because he lost his son years ago. Mm-hmm do the mental uh, health. Um, and then there was Jared Wilson who yeah. came and lived here for a bit with Julie and then went to uh, work for Greg Laurie and that just happened this year. Yeah. There was somebody locally here. And so listen, church, I mean, it's happening. It's happening to pastors, it's happening to our kids. And so I would say to the church, locally, across our nation and globally, we have to be willing to rethink mental health. Yeah. It's time, and we cannot over-spiritualize it anymore. That might offend some people, but I think we've talked enough about is it spiritual, is it demonic, is it biological, is it clinical, but we cannot continue to over-spiritualize it. We we can't be afraid of the conversations of mental health, and we cannot continue to ignore the mental health crisis in our country right now, and we need to embrace families in our church that are suffering with mental health. Um, the bottom, bottom, bottom line. And then you asked me, you know, um, how can conduit church respond? Uh, our people, um, you know, over the last year, we've actually um, coached uh, a couple families in conduit. I didn't even, I don't even think you knew that. And um, people find us. Schools call us because they, they actually. Probably a month after Bella passed away, my daughter Mia was at a um, uh, at her school, Chris, Franklin Christian Community, um, and um, FCA. I probably said that wrong. I'm, I'm kind of tired. My emotions are getting a little yeah. getting a little wore out here. Yeah, sorry. Talking man. about all this, but that's all right. Yeah. So FCA, um, they 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 were having a, a gathering of their kids and. Um, Mia was able to actually talk about what it was like to be a sibling of uh, that of a kid. You know, her mm-hmm. her sister had mental health, and then took her life, and was able to share that publicly. Wow. And that was kind of the the birth of that. Um, you know, we we will not be silent. Another one of our mantras is is that if the death of our daughter can be used by God, we will not be silent. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the thing that motivates us. So you said, conduit church, what can you do? And, and there's four things that I think we, our church, our community of faith can do. And number one is, it's the same question. Conduit, are you willing to rethink mental health? Hmm. Number two, if so, can we create an environment that families that are dealing with mental health conditions and struggles and children husbands, whoever it is, are we willing to create an environment that those people in our community of faith would be willing to talk in a judgment-free zone, Hmm. in a place where they would actually open up, 
Number three, would we be willing to learn as a church and get educated? Knowledge is power. Mm-hmm. And the only way to rethink it is to be under videos and podcasts and in situations and reading books and making an intentional effort to learn about mental health. And then lastly, most important, when Darren, and it's from 1 Corinthians thirteen seven, where it says, love believes all, hmm. love hopes all, love bears all, love endures all. Would we be willing to journey alongside other families that have kids that are struggling? Yeah and love them through it. It gets messy, it's complicated, it's painful, but isn't that what we're called to do overall? Love is the most excellent way. Yeah. And to love others in our church well that are struggling. And then those parents feel encouraged and then in turn they can love their kid well. Yeah. Back in October of last year, um, I, I I really felt the Lord put on our heart that that was for 2020. Um, adding this on to, in addition to addiction, and uh, because of my own journey, because of what we experienced with David and Jana and Lydia and Becca, and and then Corona, you know, punched us all. And ironically, give us more of a reason to move forward in this. And I remember thinking, I, it was like I want to do something, but I don't know what to do. And so uh, I got to believe that other pastors are like that. They either don't. I, I would think that most pastors now are at least at a point, I would hope anyway, they recognize the problem, but they don't know what to do about the problem. Yeah, that's correct. I think that's kind of where we're stuck. Yeah. As a community of faith. Yeah. Yeah, much of the stigma, for the most part, much of the stigma is gone. But now it's in the well. That sounds great. Now what do we do? Because it feels like the '80s where we just swipe the the alcoholics to the AA and then we're done with it, which is you know a way of uh, it's the best thing I knew to do. But moving into this future, that's what I think that um, the answer to that for me, for us as leadership, and I know many in our churches, yes, right. We want to press into that. And I know others. So this this is going to be your first appearance with us on this because we're going to, yeah. there's so much to unpack. We've already gone 90 minutes. You're about to set the record. I think the only other one that went longer was our Israel. We, we got to stop. But what's your yeah, what's the last word from you? Like somebody right now, they've made it to yeah. the end. Uh, they're they're gone to work now. They're back home because it's been a long. Yeah, they're, they're catching the end and their driveway pulling in. What's the last word that you might throw out to someone listening right now? Uh, if you're a parent that is observing. Uh, behaviors, mood swings with your kid. Um, don't wait. Get get on our site, nothinghidden.org. Mm-hmm. Go through those next steps. If you're concerned after your observation and your conversation, um, get a counselor involved. Um, if you're in crisis mode, go through our next steps. Mm-hmm. Um, you might need to immediately go into professional mode. Um, our coaching services are kind of in the middle of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, hey, we have this free event we're putting on this yep. Sunday, the 8th at 6 p.m. Um, come learn. Come yeah. learn from us. Um, it's it's inevitable. 
that you will know somebody that's going to deal with mental illness sometime in your lifetime. So if you're if you're not uh, a family with a child with mental health mm. issues, I, I think you should be there. Here's why. I'm going to go over these statistics again. Fifty um, percent of all lifetime mental illness begins at the age 14. 50%, listen to this, 75% of mental illness by the age 24. That's because it wasn't dealt with early on. Onset of mental illness to treatment is 10 to 11 years. Now it went from 10 to 11 years just in the last 14 months since I've been studying this. This is, this is the one that's scary, but statistics are usually factual, right? Yeah, they're based on something. Suicide is the second leading cause of death among people aged 10 to 34 years old. Second. 10 years old to 34. 10 to 10. 34. Suicide is the second leading cause. Yeah. 46% of people who do... Bu- 46% of people who die by suicide, still hard for me to say that word. Sorry, man. Had a diagnosed mental health condition. 46%. Wow. Well, I would like to say to you, I wish Tracy were here so she could hear me say it, but I hope I'll get to say it to her face, to thank you for pushing through this because this is not ethereal to you this is your life and the pain that you guys endured to get to here um i'm grateful for it and i believe that uh as horrible as it is that your courage um i heard it said once that courage doesn't mean you're not afraid it just means you do it anyway you do it afraid yes and I believe that that courage hopefully will be inspiring to others um, to not hide anymore, to push past the shame and to quite literally save some people's lives. And I don't say that uh, hyperbolically. Like there's that... That, you know, we couldn't save everybody in the same way that not everybody with cancer can be saved. But if there's some some tools that some parents can get a head start on, um, just like cancer, if you can catch it early enough with some of it, you can get get through it. Absolutely, I use that as a uh, illustration. Yeah, often. Yeah, I felt like that. That was even the language of committing. I remember thinking, you know, Becca, Christopher, she didn't commit anything, you know. But it was there was a this illness that had taken hold of her life that the parents did everything they needed to do, and uh, I hope that for us as a as a church family, um, for all church families, that we can recognize in the same way there's no shame for a little child in. Uganda that doesn't have clean water because they didn't do anything. It's not their fault. That's right. That there's no shame for a 14-year-old in Tennessee. No shame for the parent. Uh, Sometimes shame is just pride with a sad face. (laughs) Sure, yeah. Um, Because I think, you know, especially from the pastoral world or whatever, but for the most part, it's just literally just 
I love that in Hebrews 12 that he, you know, Jesus despised, it says, for the joy set before him, he just uh, went to the cross despising the shame. Yeah, uh, I love that verse. Yeah, yeah, he didn't despise the pain, which I would have been like, I, I would despise someone poking a hole in my hand. I despise that a lot. But I think he experienced uh, the ultimate weaponization, the toxic shame, the weaponization of shame of Satan against parents, against our children, against our the church, that Jesus died for that to he despised it because he knew what it would do to us and so if you're listening and i hope that um you if you're in this area in nashville area and if not you know i don't know maybe jerry we could put together like a web-based one for people because we do have people listening everywhere from germany to california yeah i'm working on trying to live stream this i'm not sure if we're going to be able to yet but we're working on that so if we're able to get that we'll 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 get that information out and I would say this, you know, we're again at the time of this recording, we're in a pandemic. And, you know, if you're uncomfortable going into a place without a mask, whatever, man, wear your mask. We don't care. We're not, you know, certainly it's not required in our church, but we would love, we don't want, I'm going to put it this way the, the, the lockdown isolation that's happening globally right now is uh, in an attempt to save lives, is also costing some lives because of the isolation and the depression. Oh, man. The, the, the number of suicides that are up, um, drug. drug um, yeah. overdoses um, yeah. is just, it's staggering. Um, so, yeah, I hope that, you know, you can yeah. um, maybe, if, especially if you're in the middle of this right now, press through that fear. Uh, nobody, you know, we'll, we'll social distance you. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll do what we need to do. Um, but this is about saving lives, you know? Yeah, and you know, in another way, um, if, you're, if you're listening, go to nothinghidden.org. Bottom of the page, uh, sign up for our newsletter. Uh, stay mm. in touch. Yeah, yeah. We'll probably, if we can get this live stream, we'll go ahead and shoot that out. It's good to know. Um, so, if, so get on the email list so that if we can live stream, we'll tell you how to do that. Also, we have a Facebook page. It's nothing hidden, black and white logo because there is another organization out of ministry out of California that's called Nothing Hidden Ministries, and it's for couples and marriages. Okay. But we're nothing hidden, black and white logo, Facebook. There's videos on there that we've actually done. There's documentaries. There's, I totally forgot to say it's another place for a resource. Yeah. But if we're able to live stream, we'll actually do that as well. So don't just like us, follow us as well. Got it. Yes. And um, Okay. Well, thank you for being here. I will, um, I'm looking forward to this weekend and I'm super thankful for, again, the work and the just the stuff that you guys have pressed through to get this and uh and yeah we'll have you back because i i mean i've got like a hundred things that i still want to say or ask <laughs> yeah so it's gonna be good too for people to hear from my wife because yeah. um there's just she's yeah. there's a mommy heart and there's a daddy heart man and um to hear from her Both is gonna them, be so. amazing okay Thank you for uh, listening. Um, if you made it all the way to an hour and a half, uh, we're the, you, you're a hero. But that um, there's just a lot to just so much to cover. And and honestly, if you made it this far, it's probably because you you know what I know, which is that this is needed and you needed it. And so I pray that these words today are bolstering to you. Um, and if uh, if you want to reach out. To, uh, conduitchurch.com info at conduitchurch.com we can certainly if you're local here in fact we'd love to have you join us at our local or uh, local live stream at 10 a.m at conduitchurch.com if you need prayer specifically info at conduitchurch.com someone would love to pray with you 
uh, we're, we're so grateful for those of you that had the courage to do that. So God bless you guys. Thanks for tuning in. And we will uh, be back with you again next week on the Deeper Podcast.